There was a couple named Tom and Grace, and a handful of hours uh, before uh, they were sitting in their, ho- uh, their hotel, uh, they had uttered the words from this day forward. Well, uh, that day was an exciting day, but they also knew that coming into that day, there were a couple of things they hadn't revealed to each other that they were a little bit hesitant about. And so uh, Tom, he had a really problem, a uh, big problem with sweaty feet, and they just really stunk. And he had been able to mask it and hide it for all the time that they dated. Well, his wife, Grace, she had a similar problem in terms of smell, but it was her bad breath. And uh, she had just masked it with gum and mints, and they had dated for a year and a half before they got married. And so here it was, they have said these words from this day forward. They're sitting in their hotel room, and, and then Tom pops up and he says, baby, um, I, I got to confess, I, I got to talk to you about something that I've not shared with you. And I'm sorry that I haven't told you yet, but I need you to just come sit over here by me on the bed. And I need to kind of tell something to you, especially if we're going to have a good marriage, we're going to be open and honest. I, I want to be fully loved. I, I need you to know. So she was a little bit hesitant about what she was about to hear, but she also knew that she had something that she hadn't shared. And so he says, baby, sit down right here. And and so sure enough, uh, Grace is sitting right next, and he reached out his hand. And he said, baby, I need to tell you. And then she stopped him and said, no, 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 baby, let me tell you. And she leaned in. He's taken back. He goes, oh, no, you ate my socks, didn't you? <laughs> For some of you, you'll get it here in a little while. <laughs> Communication is huge. But it's something that a lot of us in here that we want to avoid. Like we are so hesitant about communication. Because of that, we, we come up with different patterns that we're going to talk about today. And uh, the goal of today is to help you to have a biblical understanding of communication. And let's just be honest. If we're going to talk about communication, let's talk about the parts that we don't enjoy. And that's conflict. Because we don't need help in our marriages because our communication is too great. We actually need help in our marriages because we struggle with it. And uh, what's interesting is, is that we just did our 4C surveys uh, for our church members here. And so if you remember at Stone Point, we asked you to do a 4C survey. And this is what we revealed from the survey so far. 48% of couples here at Stone Point would say that they don't handle conflict very well in their marriages. So one out of every two would say we don't handle it well at all, like not necessarily in a godly way. And so we kind of push it to the side. There's certain things in marriage that just aren't dealt with. And so we really felt like after we gathered this information that we had to spend some time talking about this idea of conflict and communication. Now, if you're new uh, to Stone Point for the very first time, obviously you're jumping on in the middle of a series and we uh, want to invite you to go back and watch. But last week we talked about really roles in marriage and we talked about the primary responsibility of husbands and the primary responsibility of wives and in a way that actually pleases God, but also is not destructive to one another. And so uh, let me just kind of sum that up for you real quickly in, in one line. Maybe you're here at Stone Point you just missed last week, but it would just be this. It takes a real man to be satisfied and to love one woman for a lifetime. And it takes a real woman to be satisfied and to respect her man for a lifetime. And so the idea of being a loving husband and a wife who respects her husband for a lifetime is a very difficult thing. And so we commend couples who are committed to that, but we also know that if we're going to do that well, then we really got to address this issue of conflict and communication. Why? Because it's one of three leading divorce killers in the United States. How well you respond to conflict and communication is crucial to your success in marriage, 
But listen, every relationship. And so maybe you're here and you're like, hey, I'm single and I'm not intended to get married. Well, listen, I promise you that you have an employer. You have a boss, you have a coworker, you have a friend. And so this message is applicable all the way across the board for every person in here. Now, I'll tell you, I think it can be applied best in marriage, but I'll tell you, if you're a parent, um, if you're a sibling, if you're a son, your daughter, I'm pretty sure that's all of us in here, then it can be helpful for you. And so my prayer is today that God would speak tremendously as we talk through this issue. So let's pray together and then we're going to dive in. God, we pray that you would soften our hearts and Lord, help us to have the ability to, to listen. And uh, Lord, not to simply be here's the word, James 1, and so deceive ourselves, but to help us to do what it says. And so God, I pray that you would um, help us to, to look at our own lives and, and our own marriages. And, and Father, I pray that we would uh, not have an unrealistic view of this idea of communication, but I pray also we, we wouldn't have an unhealthy view. And so I pray that you would guide our hearts and, and our minds and, and Lord, lead us into a way that pleases you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. And so last week I gave you this fundamental aspect and idea of the theology of marriage, which I think is crucial to the groundwork. But from here on, the next three weeks, today and the next two, practical. Very practical. So if you have a pen, then get ready to write. Because I have six pages of notes, which is usually two times what I usually bring in. And so it means that we're either going to be here a long time or I have to go really fast. And so in the first service, I went really fast. And so I encourage you to write as fast as you can. But here's another great thing, and I have no problem with you do it. Use your cell phone. Take pictures of the screen if it would be helpful. And then you can go back and look at those later on your own time. But either way, let's dive in. Now think about this, conflict. Why is it so bad? And oftentimes, why does it escalate so quickly? Well, I have a, a thought that it's the principle of the first response. So the principle of the first response is that of Jesus. And so if you can think about Jesus, he was cornered many times by the Pharisees. They wanted to know different things about, hey, what do you say about rendering Caesar what's his? About taxes. They asked him about commandments. Hey, what do you say the greatest commandment is? And they oftentimes tried to corner him. And But what's interesting is if you look at Jesus, he always had a great first response. And you think about your communication, the reason that it goes so awry so quickly is because you and I oftentimes have a terrible first response. So when somebody says something to you, it's usually, hey, let me volley this one back. Hey, let me ramp it up a little bit. And so our first response oftentimes is what escalates your conflict quicker. And so the, the principle that I want us to really focus on today is this, is what would it look like in our first response if we attributed the words of Proverbs, but also we looked at the ideals of Jesus. And so Proverbs 15.1 is kind of the idea of this, this concept pause that I'm, I want to just kind of think through today. And that simply is a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. So look at that. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. And so the question is, when Jesus was initiated into a hard conversation, he always gave plausible answers, but it seemed that he had thought those out. Now, obviously, he's the son of God, and he was perfect in his communication. And so we don't have that one going for us, do, us? do we? No? And so the question is, is what do we learn? And so the, I think the ideal is, is this, is that we would learn to pause. Pause. Think about Pause. Somebody initiates something to you. Maybe it's a boss, maybe it's a coworker, maybe it's a friend, maybe it's your son or your daughter, your, your small child, maybe it's your husband, maybe it's your wife. And they say something to you that causes you angst. And, and 
this emotion that wells up in you. And the question then becomes is, what's my first response going to be? And you can come right back at them. You can say something mean or hateful or sarcastic. Or you could go, wow, let me take a few seconds. I've seen that happen in our home many times with Kelly and our kids. It is not uncommon for them to, to be in some ways bringing out her anxiety and she will say, time out. And she'll step back and then she'll just count right in front of them. One, two, three, all the way to 10. And it gives her a chance for a moment to just gather her thoughts so she doesn't have a knee-jerk reaction and say something that she doesn't want our kids to see her say. Well, that's the idea of pause. Now, I'm not encouraging you in the middle of it to count to 10, although if that works, then praise God, use it. But the idea is, is that in the middle of your anxiety, in the middle of your emotions, that you would step back and that you would pause. And in that pause, you may go, wow, what you just said was hurtful. I need a few moments to kind of wrap my head around before we, we talk. And so the purpose of a pause is, is not to move it to the side, but it's to address it in a biblical way. And what's interesting is, is oftentimes we don't address conflict in a biblical way. And so it escalates, it gets out of hand. And so I think the purpose of your pause is fivefold. Now, I don't typically like to use acrostics, but for the purpose of today, I think it's very helpful. And so the very first idea of the reason you pause is for the purpose of prayer. And so think about this. How, how mad can you be at someone when you're praying with them or for them? But you, you think about that. The principle of prayer is not complicated, but it has to be applied. And I think so many times we forget the words that Jesus said, hey, pray for those who persecute you. Pray for those who what? Are your enemies. Pray for those people who stir in you what? Anger and angst. Now you go, well, I've been praying for my wife for a long time. Now, now I'm not just talking about your wife, okay? I'm talking about everyone. What would it look like if you struggle with your boss that you're praying for him diligently, for a softened heart, but not only for him, but for you? See, the idea of prayer is committing it to the Lord to ask him to do something that only he can. But I'll tell you, the longer you pray for someone, the less conflict you're gonna have with them. Interesting enough, this idea of prayer is something that we struggle with, but it should be helpful in marriage. And so you not only should you be praying for friends and enemies and coworkers and bosses and all those, but I think we have an explicit command in 1 Corinthians 7 to pray. As a matter of fact, I think there's two commands, and I think, men, you should tune in because you'll love them, okay? Um, 1 Corinthians 7, verse 1 through 5. Now, concerning the matters about which you wrote, it is good for a man not to have sexual relationships with a woman. Now, you're like, well, how in the world did we get here in conflict, okay? Read on. But because of the temptation of sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights and likewise the wife to her husband. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Now, the principles here are simply this, that when you leave your father and mother and you cling together as one flesh, that now you have in a sense, died yourself and you become one. And so what I possess is my wife's and what she possesses is mine. And so we are working together and we have given up our rights for each other. That's the principle. But then look at verse five. 
Do not deprive one another. And what it's speaking of is in terms of intimacy. Don't deprive each other of intimacy, except perhaps by agreement for a limited time. And so in the midst of our stopping intimacy, we do it for a limited time. Husbands, you can underline that if you'd like, that you may devote yourselves to what? Are y'all with me? Some of you husbands are like, I'm, not, I'm lost. I'm lost in this line. Like, okay, the reason that we stop physical intimacy for a time is for the purpose of what? Prayer. But then to come together so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. And so if there's a couple of things that we should be committed to in marriage in addition to last week, one should be intimacy and the other should be prayer. And you should devote a lot of time towards prayer. Why? Because we don't always devote a lot of time towards intimacy. And so if you don't have a lot of intimacy, you should at least have a lot of prayer. Now, next week, we're going to talk about intimacy. We're going to talk about it in, in detail and in depth, and it's going to be rather PG-13, maybe a little bit on the lines of rated R, right, in a biblical sort of way. And so I just tell you that if you have a third grader in here, that it would probably be a great idea next week, unless you want them to get a biblical perspective on intimacy and sex and marriage, that you would use Stone Point Kids to your advantage. Great uh, leaders in there, all background uh, checked, all trained, an exceptional opportunity for your kids to, and I encourage you to take advantage of it because we are going to talk about sex and we're going to talk about the perversion of it, but also why God designed it to be healthy and why we should talk about it in the church. And so just know that's, that's coming next week, but we're not talking about that today. We're talking about communication. And so what would it look like if you and I were devoted to prayer for the people we're communicating with in the area of marriage? What if you were committed to praying with your spouse? Do you think that might encourage a different first response? I would say that it would encourage a different first response if you and your husband, if you and your wife were praying together on a daily basis. Interesting enough, the surveys of, that we just took 4C related this. 39% of all marriages from members at Stone Point are not praying together at all during the week. So four out of every 10 couples never pray together. Another 20%, 21% would say that they pray together less than two times a week. And so 61% of the couples here say we rarely, if ever, pray together in our marriage. Now you would go, wow, that's alarming. No, let me explain the alarming part. The alarming part is as you're walking through the surveys individually, you'll notice something. And that was with our men. Our men were proportionately more likely to stack the numbers on their end. And so a man would say, we pray together one or two times a week, and their wife would say, we never pray together. Or a man would say, we pray together three or four times a week, and their wife would say, we never pray together. And so men, we have a real problem here at Stone Point saying that we're doing something that our wives claim that we're not. And so I don't think those are accurate statistics. I think they're a little bit out of proportion because us as men are not leading in the area of prayer, which means our communication stinks. I think there's a correlation between those two statistics I gave you, which is why I'm so incredibly grateful not to beat you up, but to see how we can improve here at Stone Point. And so I think one of the crucial keys for us to improve in our marriages and our relationships is the idea of prayer. And so when you pause, use it for an opportunity to pray. 
to pray and ask God to reveal something in you. 20th century evangelist R.A. Torrey said this, the reason why many fail in battle is because they wait until the hour of battle to plan. The reason why others succeed is because they've gained their victory on their knees long before the battle ever came. So anticipate your battles, fight them on your knees before temptation comes and you'll always have victory. So how many times do you and I start praying after the fact? What if we started praying before the battle ever hit our front lines? And so the idea is to devote ourselves to the concept of prayer. And so here's what I encourage you to do. If, if you're just talking like this is an area that you need to improve on, men, this is the challenge I ask you to take. And that's a 705 challenge with me. And so what I did the other day, because I struggle in the area of prayer in my marriage, I actually have confessed that to a couple of guys that I'm doing some life with. And, and uh, so I'm, you're, you're not alone. I think the church will take on some of the leadership uh, of its leaders and, and the image. And so I, I failed in that. We don't pray together near enough. And so I set an alarm on my phone and at 7.05 p.m., there's a reminder that goes off daily to remind me to pray with my wife that night. Now, if you're a wife in here, I encourage you to go ahead and set one a couple hours later, right? Why? Because we're doofuses, okay? And so I'll get a reminder, but just because I have a reminder doesn't mean that I'll do what I know I should do. And so what would it look like if at 9.05, you're like, I'm in bed. Okay, at 8.05, whatever's practical to you, that you set a daily alarm on your phones to say, let's pray together tonight. And so that's a practical challenge, a 705 challenge. Why 705? 1 Corinthians 7, 5, devote yourselves to prayer. So at 705, say we're going to devote ourselves to prayer. It may be 905 where it's practical because you got little ones in the house. But the bottom line is let's have daily reminders to go, let's make this important in our life. Why? Because I believe there's a correlation between it and conflict in your marriage. And so let's pray more together. Amen. You've heard the adage so many times, I hate to even use it, but the couple that prays together, exactly. And so let's use that on our benefit and behalf. So the second thing is, is, is not simply, okay, when you pause, you pray. But the second one, I think, is oftentimes the most challenging, but it's to audit and then admit. So audit. It's a picture of Proverbs twenty-eight thirteen. Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. So the idea of this is in, con- in your conflict, instead of coming right back at someone and seeing your spouse or your coworker or someone else is the problem, what if we began to look introspectively? And so one of the things that I heard somebody say many years ago is that anytime that somebody takes a shot at you, even if it's your worst enemy, maybe it's someone that um, says something and you go, there is no possible way that that's true. The one thing that I remember gleaning from them is to say, take every single word they say and at least give some attention to it. So examine it. So if you were to say, man, Brandon, you always respond with anger. Or hey, Brandon, you always have to be right. Then the key is, is this, is that I could easily take that information and throw it out the window and say, you're just simply wrong. You're not, that's not true. It's not an accurate picture. But then the question becomes is what if we use that information to our benefit? Because even your worst enemy has a perception of you that may or may not be true. But what if you were to take what they said and ask God to allow you to examine that information? What what if what your spouse keeps saying could potentially be true? Maybe not all of it, but there's a part of it. 
What if what your friend says repeatedly that you've just, in a sense, thrown out the window, what if there's a part of it that could potentially be true? That's the idea of an audit. An audit allows God to examine your heart. It's the picture of Psalm 51 when David says, Lord, create in me a pure heart. Remove any of my anxious ways. That's the picture of healthy relationships. You do an internal audit, and then you admit your fault. See, you and I have no problem what seeing the speck in everyone else's eye. You don't have a problem seeing it in your husband. You don't have a problem seeing it in your wife. You don't have a problem seeing it in your boss. You don't have a problem seeing it in your son or daughter. We always see others' faults magnified, and we rarely take an opportunity to audit where we are in our own lives. And so that's the key to communication, is that you would not just pray, but use prayer as an opportunity to audit and then admit your fault. So the question is, is, well, why do we have faults? Well, James 4, 1 and 2, it gives us the picture. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire, you don't have, so you murder, you covet, you cannot obtain, so you fight and you quarrel. Listen, every problem we have comes down to sin and selfishness. Everyone. And this is a statement that you're probably not going to agree with, but I believe it's true. Is the biggest problem in your marriage is you. The biggest problem in your marriage is you. Why? Because we have said these things way too long. It's just who I am. My dad was that way. My granddad was that way. I am the way I am. You married me like that, and that's who I am, so leave me be. And we just stay there. We say things like, hey, you provoked me. If you would have said that to another man, he would have done far worse. And then we justify our behavior in comparison. We look at the situation and we go, listen, you approached me at the wrong time and, and you, you, you backed me into a corner. I had to respond. What else could I have done? You got me when I was hungry or you got me when I was tired. And so we always have excuses. But the bottom line is this is that in order to pause, it allows us to not pray, but just to audit and admit our faults so that we can begin moving forward. Moving forward to what? To understanding. To understanding. See, the goal of communication is understanding. That's the goal. The goal of communication is not to be heard. That's what many of us think in here. So, hey, I want you to hear me right now so you'll understand, okay? But the goal is not to be heard. And what what will we do to see that we're heard? We'll do whatever it takes. We'll get louder. We'll use devices. We'll use techniques. We'll use words. But the goal is understanding. Proverbs twenty two seventeen: incline your ear and hear the words of the wise and apply your mind to my knowledge. And so the idea of understanding is that you'll understand the goal of it. And so there's three goals in understanding. The one is that you would have mutual understanding, mutual understanding. Now, I want you to to not misinterpret this. Mutual understanding does not mean that you always agree, but it means that you seek to see the other perspective. Do you understand? There's always two sides of a coin. There's two sides of a coin at the workplace. There's two sides of a coin in a, in a relationship with your friends, and it's the same for a spouse. And we live in a society right now that's projected everywhere that in order to be friends, you have to agree. And if we don't agree, then we must be worst enemies. And that's just not true. 
And so we don't have to agree about everything, but it doesn't mean that we shouldn't desire mutual understanding because some of my best friends are people that I don't agree with on everything. And that's okay. But it's not okay to simply say, I don't agree with you, get away from me. What is okay is say, I don't agree with you, but I would certainly like to have a conversation to see your side. And the goal is to have mutual understanding. Proverbs 18.2 says, a fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. And so if you're known to express your opinion and never pray, audit, admit, or seek to come to a mutual understanding, then the Bible says you're a fool. And I believe you're most to be pitied because you are loud-mouthed. People perceive you to be arrogant, prideful, opinionated, and ultimately they don't want to be around you. And I pray that if you seek that in me, that you would approach me and say, man, you're becoming a fool. Mutual understanding is the goal, not to agree, but to come to a place where you see both sides of the story. I think most of you would agree, would agree that's important, but I think maybe you're having a hard time understanding what this looks like practically. And so I encourage y'all to take just a couple minutes and, and check this video out. I think this will help, particularly in the area of marriage. So y'all check this out. It's just, there's all this pressure, you know? And sometimes it feels like it's right up on me and I can just feel it, like literally feel it in my head and it's relentless and I don't know if it's going to stop. I mean, that's the thing that scares me the most is that I don't know if it's ever going to stop. Yeah. Well, you do have a nail in your head. It is not about the nail. Are you sure? Because I mean, I'll bet if we got that out of there. Stop nail, trying to fix it. No, I'm not trying to fix it. I'm just pointing out that maybe the nail is causing- You always do this. You always try to fix things when what I really need is for you to just listen. Yeah, see, I don't think that is what you need. I think what you need is to get the nail See, out. you're not even listening now. Okay, fine, I will listen, fine. It's just, sometimes it's like, there's this achy, I don't know what it is. And I'm not sleeping very well at all. And all my sweaters are snagged. I mean, all of them. Sounds really hard. It is. Thank you. Ow! Oh, come on. Ow. If you would just don't. Point taken. Let's move on, okay? Um, and so here's the key. Understanding, obviously, is to come to a mutual understanding. But in doing so, you also have to understand your words and your tone. Oftentimes, what ruins a conversation so quickly are our words and our tone. We choose reckless words. Proverbs 12, 18 says, Reckless words pierce like a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Proverbs verse 18, uh, 21 says, Death and life from the power of the tongue, and those who what love it will eat of its fruit. James gives us the same warning that our, our tongue is, is like a little spark that sets an entire forest ablaze. It's like a little rudder that can turn a whole ship. And so, listen, our words and our tone oftentimes ruin conversations simply because we are careless with those words and tone. And so maybe pay attention to that. And then here's the other one. It's understanding your negative views of 
communication or patterns. And so oftentimes we have patterns. One of the things that we highlighted today was regeneration. The reason we have regen at Stone Point is to help people break patterns in their life. And so here's a few patterns that happen in your communication, which leads to a breakdown. One of them is just withdrawal and avoidance. It's just an unwillingness to talk about the issue. So if the goal is mutual understanding, it means that you both have to come to the table and talk. But oftentimes, because of our past, because of circumstances, we're unwilling to have that conversation. We're unwilling to talk, and so we leave the room. We shut down. We fake peace. We pretend things are okay when they're really not. We switch topics inadvertently, or we just move through it. Sometimes there's some of us in here that will move right to humor, and so we'll try to do something to steer the conversation and even make something funny when it's not funny at all, when really we need to have a conversation. For some of us in here, we think that withdrawing suppresses anger, and so we do it in order to not blow up. But what if we paused, prayed, audited, admitted, came to an understanding as opposed to just saying, hey, I'm not going to have this conversation. And so typically in our families and in your marriage, in your relationships, you have seen one of two things pictured to you, fight or flight. You either punch instead of pause, or you you would rather just run and avoid. And so that's, that's neither of those are biblical forms. So the greatest thing is to pause, come to an understanding, and don't withdraw. Don't fake peace. Don't pretend it's okay when your spouse would say, but I can tell on your face that it's not okay. And so have a conversation. Avoid the pattern of escalation. Escalation is the idea of a volleyball match. He says, she says, and it's just literally volleying back and forth. Oftentimes, if, if you were blessed with the, the uh, sin of sarcasm, <laughs> you'll know what I mean. And so it's one-upping. It's this negative response that ultimately could just, it just brings about a snowball effect. And before too long, you're caught up in it, and you have gone 30 minutes, and you've not done anything productive other than tear each other down. Proverbs 26.20, I think, is the best practical advice I could give anyone, and that is, for a lack of wood, the fire goes out, and where there is no whisper, quarreling ceases. For some of us in this room, in order to have mutual understanding, you need to quit throwing logs on the fire. Because when, when you quit throwing logs on the fire, the fire will eventually go out. And so the goal is, is not to allow sarcasm and tennis lobs going back and forth to stir your emotions. The third one is negative interpretation. Negative interpretation is simply this. You hear your, uh, your husband say, what's for dinner? But that's not at all what he said. What you heard he, him say was something, something different. So he says, hey, hey, what's for dinner, babe? And you heard, I hope it's not what was, th- what, for dinner last night. Or she'll call you and say, hey, when are you coming home? And you hear, why am I never home enough? So negative interpretation always takes the words that are said and misconstrues them in your mind. It's an unrealistic picture of the words being projected by your spouse, by your boss. And so your boss will say, hey, where have you been? And you heard, I'm always late for work. And so we need to begin to take an audit of our life and not only understand what they said, but also understand why we perceive them to say what they said. Do you see this picture? And so that's negative interpretation. Negative interpretation is simply this, always assuming the worst. 
And so instead of assuming the worst, assume some of the best. And the last one of this idea is invalidation. Invalidation happens slowly. It's not like escalation where it's volleying back and forth. Invalidation, oftentimes in the middle of a conversation, a husband will say to his wife, listen, you overreact all the time. Or they'll say something like, hey, where did you come up with that? That's one of the silliest ideas I've ever heard. But over time, what your spouse has heard you say is, my opinions never matter. They also always seem unwarranted or they always seem foolish. And so I'll stop interjecting my opinions at all. And so invalidation also is a subtle, indirect put, put down, thoughts, feelings, etc., that contribute to what? To bad communication. Got it? And so what's the exit strategy? I think the exit strategy is Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29. Don't let any unwholesome talk come into your mouths, but only what is helpful for building up others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And so here's the question. If I were to go to your boss, if I were to go to your husband, if I was to go to your wife, or better yet, because your kids always tell the truth, if I were to go to them and I were to say, how do your parents do at building you up? what would they say? And so would you heed the words and the instruction of God's word that you would be careful in the things you say and the things you do to avoid the negative patterns of communication that keep you from coming to a place of mutual understanding because that's the goal. And then there's two more and I'm gonna run through those fairly quickly and that is support and endure. And so, uh, I'm sorry, structure and endure. So what's structure and why does it matter? Because here's the deal. Oftentimes it's us believing that we don't need a plan in communication that just allows us to go crazy. But here's a quick thing for the speaker, for the listener, and for both. So here's some rules for the speaker. Why do you need them? Proverbs 18, 13 says, if, if one gives an answer before he hears, it is his folly and shame. And so here it is. As a speaker, speak only for yourself. Don't mind read. The goal is not to mind read. Speak in short phrases, stop often, and let the listener paraphrase. As the listener, you should be, what, listening. So make sure you can paraphrase what you hear. Don't give rebuttals. And for every man in here, but especially for myself, I would admit that as my wife is speaking, I'm already generating a response like that's my deal is I'm formulating a, an answer to what she's asking when it all comes down to it. She doesn't want an answer. She just wants me to listen. And so we should listen well, focus on what the speaker is saying. And the reason that we paraphrase every now and then is to make sure that what they're articulating is what we're hearing particularly if you have a problem with invalidation or negative interpretation, you should hear what they're saying and reply, I think you said this. That's extremely helpful. And then what are the rules for both? Well, here's the rules for both. To come to a mutual understanding, both sides have to speak and have to have the floor. So share the floor. There are some of us in our relationships that we could be the voice all day long. We could talk and talk and talk and talk and talk. And there are some of us in here that we could listen, 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 listen. But the goal is not for one to talk and the other to listen all the time, but to share the floor. Remember that the speaker always has the floor. If you need a salt shaker, that's practical. Put a salt, salt shaker out on the table and say, when you hold this, then you're the speaker. And if you don't have it, then you're the listener. And I've used that before in counseling and marriages. And it's, it's helpful to say, listen, listen, listen. Quit giving a rebuttal. 
And then the goal is, is always continuing speaking and paraphrasing, making sure that you understand both sides of the coin. That's the goal. Colossians 4, 6, and 7 says, Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how that you ought to respond to each person. And so you may wonder, well, why do you need a plan when it comes to communication? It almost sounds ridiculous, and it almost sounds like something that's not applicable. And here's what I want you to hear. Telling the truth is never an option, but deciding where and how always is. And there are many couples in here that you are out to dinner with friends and you will say something like this. Hey, babe, why don't we get their opinion on what we were dealing with earlier? And then what you do is, is you take something that should be discussed first in person and you throw it out in the midst of eight people. Now, I'll tell you why it's unbiblical because it, it is totally against the principles of Matthew 18 in terms of going to your brother. But the other part of it is it's destructive not only to you, but to your friendships. Because you certainly don't want to be known as the couple that every time you get together goes, hey, we're going to work through all their problems. Now, I am not telling you to be left alone on an island. What I am telling you is to use wisdom and discernment. Make sure that you pick the place and the time and the way you do it because that pleases the Lord. And so be careful that you don't bring it up in front of your kids. Be careful that you don't have it all out in front of everybody. Be careful that you don't do it in your friends or in a public place at your child's basketball game. Don't take the focus off of what they are doing to put it on yourself. That's selfish, which is the root of all of our problems anyway. And then the last one is simply this, endure, endure. So you go, okay, I get it, okay, I, I need to pause. And I think that's, that's wise, okay? I'm gonna take a deep breath, I'm gonna pause for the purpose of praying about it, praying for one another, to audit, admit my mistakes, ask God to do something in this situation, to get clarity and understanding, that's huge, to understand that there should be a structure in the way that we say it, how we do it, when we do it, that's great. But what's the purpose of enduring? Like endure the conflict? Yes, endure the conflict. In 1 Corinthians 13, it begins the chapter that you and I should what? Exhibit love. But oftentimes the people who claim to love us, they sound like a clanging cymbal or a gong. They almost sound like someone just beating on a, on a cymbal. And if I were to take a drumstick right now and just beat on a cymbal, you would just go, okay, I can't endure that anymore. But for some of us in our relationships, you are a clanging gong and a cymbal. You always talk. You get louder and louder. You're sarcastic. You're arrogant. You're prideful. I think we all can struggle with it at times. But listen, I'm telling you that in order for the gospel to be known, you have to endure. Because even though there are clanging gongs and cymbals, the instruction for us is to love one another. And I think that's what it allows you to endure, a healthy biblical love. 1 Corinthians 13, 7 says this, love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And the word endures is a, a word that I've been reminded of several times over the last two months in my personal reading, but it's a word called hupomeneo, and it literally means to be steadfast, to, 
to just continue to move forward. It means to remain, even under opposition or trials, like just be immovable, hold fast and trust in God. And so the idea of this in communication, whether it's with your employee, with it's your friends or your spouse, in the context of marriage, the idea is to endure. And so how do you do that? Just love each other? That seems pretty awesome, Mike. That, that's it, just love each other. No, it's when you understand what conflict is. Listen, conflict, if you hear nothing else I've said all day, I think this could be good for you. Hold, hold, hold fast. Endure. Conflict is an opportunity. All conflict is an opportunity. You're like, no, it's not. No, it's not. I hate conflict. That's why I withdraw. That's why I run. That's why I fly away. I hate it. No, listen, that's the problem. You have taken conflict and you've misconstrued it. You think conflict's a bad thing when in fact conflict can be a really, really good thing. And the question is, is why is conflict good? Well, here's why. One is because it grows you as a person. It gives you great growth. Why? Because the more that you can listen to people and seek to understand who they are and where they're coming from, the better you get at becoming a people person. And for... Most of us in here, people love us except for our spouse. Like it's crazy how many of us seek to understand someone else's perspective until it comes to our own home. And so the, the key is to see opportunity as growth. That conflict, even though it's tough, you can run away, you can hide it, or you can volley it back and forth. Neither of those are what? Good. Why? Because you've misconstrued the opportunity, and then more than that, you've missed the opportunity, not just for your good, but for God's glory. Do you know what the key purpose of the church is? It's to be ministers of reconciliation. The reason that God has given us the ability to make friends with so many people through the world is because the peace that he's given us in our life for the perspective and the joy that he should have placed in our hearts. And as he's done that, we ought to see every conflict as an opportunity to bring him glory. Because the way the church handles conflict shows the world who you really are. Now, let me ask you this. Is the church good at handling conflict? No. No, no, no. Our marriages stink. Our prayer lives stink. Our understanding of the culture stinks. The way we handle it in our church stinks. To be honest with you, the church stinks. And it's made up of people like us who try to coach people through conflict resolution. But I'll tell you, the scariest thing is, is that you can have all the biblical principles of conflict and how you begin to re resolve it in your life and you'll hear a bunch of people go, oh, that's good stuff. Or, hey, that's not bad. Hey, I might can use one of those things. And then you are James 1. You are merely, here's the word, and you so deceive yourselves. And you walk right out the doors and you don't do anything of what it says. The church in America splits more daily, closes its door more daily than any other organization in the world. Why? Because we're, we're terrible at this. And I'll tell you that when you don't do what's right in God's eyes, you're missing an opportunity to bring him glory. 
because it's a glorious picture to reconcile your indifferences with your spouse, with your friends, and with your coworkers, to say, I understand where you're coming from. I see my faults. In my prayer life, when I took some time to pause and evaluate, God brought this to my attention. I am a jerk, and I did approach this the wrong way, and I did say this the wrong way, and I shouldn't have done that. I'm sorry, because it did not exemplify the God of the Bible and the grace that he's given me in my life. And I'll I'll tell you, I need you to, to forgive me. What would it look like if that was our marriages? What would it look like if you just went out today and, and you just said, hey, let's go take a walk and let's just talk about ways that we can improve in our marriage and in this area of communication because even though we hate it, we have a chance to bring God much glory. Conflict can be good because it brings God glory when we resolve it. Understand? So don't claim to be a minister of reconciliation and you've not reconciled your indifferences with your, with your wife or with your son or with your father who you hadn't talked to in five years. Do you understand this picture? Do you understand this picture? Please say amen. Yes, yes, yes. Because if here at Stone Point we can get this picture, do you understand how great our marriages can become? And not just our marriages, but our parenting and our friendships. Do you understand the testimony, the light that we can be? If we can just pause. Think about it. Just pause. Pray. Admit. Understand. Get some structure in how you're going to approach it. And then go, and we're going to endure because Christ has endured on our behalf. That's the goal. So pause. And there's many of us in here, including myself, that I need to pause far more often than I did. And so may, I, may God commission us today to do just that, to pause and reflect. Let me pray for us. God, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for the privilege and the blessing of being able to teach something like this. And God, I, I know that conflict is never really seen as an opportunity, but I pray that you would adjust our mindset. Instead of it being a roadblock, May it be a road to opportunity. Help us, God, to glorify you and to grow as a person. Lord, help us to endure. Help us to realize that, the, that we should season our conversation, our words with salt. Lord, help us to not simply speak, but Lord, help us to become great listeners. Lord, help us, God, to put off anger so that we can approach this in a healthy way. God, we need your help. And Lord, I'll confess that I need it probably more than anyone else in this room. And so help me to honor you in this area. God, we love you. We thank you so much for the biblical principles that you allow us to see and live by. And I pray you would give us the courage to endure and to live them well. God, help us to see that this idea of communication and conflict is not just contained to our marriage. But God, it is the picture of the church. And so if marriage is to display the gospel to the world, which is what we talked about, God, may we display it well. And may we do it in the way we handle people. So help us. In Jesus' name, amen.